0: Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees based in Wales. This week we've got another one of our coffee pods and the focus this time is on developing a career in research. Stacey Harris sat down a few weeks ago with Kate Burke, one of our Welsh Neonatal Grid trainees who has a long established background in research. Listen in as Kate discusses how she initially got involved with research, what she had to do to get started with a PhD, the opportunities that opened up to her because of the PhD she was doing, and the advice she has for all paediatric trainees who are interested in developing their research skills. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get started.
1: I'm Stacey Harris. Hi, Stacy. And I'm going to be hosting today's podcast. I'm joined by Kate Burke. She's um, an st 8 in neonatal grid. She's done a lot of research in the past, which I'm hoping to find a lot about today. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, uh, Kate, what what have you done in the
2: past? Well. I suppose start at the start. Um, I intercalated in my medical degree so I did a BSc in psychology which I really enjoyed and worked in a group in Cambridge which was looking at sort of epigenetics at the time of infant social behaviours which was really interesting so I sort of caught the bug there because I really enjoyed that year and I hadn't really enjoyed a lot of the rest of my medical degree. <laughs> so I'd enjoyed that, and then um, following that, I applied for the Academic Foundation Programme in North East Thames Foundation School. We have an equivalent in Wales, so the Academic Foundation Programme is still going in more or less the same form, and basically, what it allows is for four months in. FY1 and FY2 to be put aside to get involved in a group, a clinical group normally who have a research interest. So I did a project on hepatitis B. So two projects actually, um, one of which was looking at bone density in hepatitis B and it was basically, a, you know, a spreadsheet project collating information from lots of different patients who'd been treated with a particular drug, tenofovir. And looking at assessments of their bone fragility um, and then inviting them for DEXA scans to sort of complete the data set. And then the second project in the second year was basically looking at the best way to screen for viral hepatitis in high-risk communities in East London. So do you do it via school? Do you do it via mosques? Do you do it via other community groups? And what could you do to increase participation? So two quite different projects but sort of again things that were really Things that interested me because they were proper boots on the groundwork, so they were things that involved dealing with patients directly, collecting information, putting things together. You know, the first one involved a lot of statistics, which was completely new to me and something new to learn. The second one involved lots of qualitative sort of data collection, which was something that I had no experience of and had never done before. So again, an opportunity to learn a new skill set. Following that I applied for paediatric training um, and I went to the seven deanery and I just did my ST1 to ST3 jobs and really enjoyed them and uh, enjoyed every job that I did but really missed having the time put aside to do something that I had ownership of and sort of around ST3 started to think again, should I think about doing something else, should I think about a higher degree, a PhD or something else? And at about that time, I'd done an audit on a community paediatric placement about array, chromosomal microarray, which was the genetic test that was just becoming available for the investigation of developmental delay. And what we were finding in North Bristol was that we were having a lot of incidental findings and their results that are essentially unrelated to the reason for the test so you do the test but then you find out that the child is a carrier of the BRCA1 gene and so has a future cancer risk or you find out that they have another microdeletion which isn't associated with developmental delay but is associated with some other problem that might be of significance to either their health or their reproductive mm-hmm. decision making. And I d- did an audit about how we did consent for chromosomal microarray, and found out that as paediatricians, the process of consent was really highly variable, and it was obvious that doing consent well was really important when these more challenging results could be, um, could be generated. So, I met someone at a conference who said this would be a really nice PhD. Would you think about a PhD? And at the time, I was thinking about a PhD. So. Um, that person was Professor Angus Clark, who's a geneticist in Cardiff, and we essentially developed a project idea together um, with a view to applying for funding for one of the big grant given bodies like the MRC or the Wellcome Trust. And at the time that was happening, the Wales Deanery, as it was at the time, now Health Education Improvement Wales, advertised a job called WCAT, which is the Welsh Clinical Academic Training Scheme, and what that promised to do was to give you three years of your NHS salary in order to pursue a PhD in addition to securing your um, salary through your run-through training, and I thought that sounds like a great opportunity. Applied, got it, and here we are, sort of, um, that was in and. 11 um, and so that was yeah eight years ago the PhD is now finished and I then subsequently applied for neonatal grid. Oh
1: wow what a so that's the story. <laughs> wow that's amazing. So you did your PhD and how did you how did you find it? So I would say that um, it's not for the faint of heart um, and <laughs>
2: it was much harder work than I expected. I think that Most of us at some stage in our careers will have some sort of involvement in part of a research project, be that recruiting someone for a clinical trial that's already up and running, or taking something like an audit or a QI project and adding in a research element by doing questionnaires or whatever else. I think what I wasn't prepared for with the PhD was just the scope of what you have to achieve in terms of developing a project idea to a point where it's entirely workable, taking it through the ethics process, taking it through the NHS R&D project, and then actually getting it up and running on the shop floor. It's sort of an extremely time consuming and bureaucratic process that I certainly had absolutely no insight into before I started when I'd really only worked on other people's projects. That being said, it was just such a great opportunity to like actually get your teeth into something and I think we've all had that feeling in paediatric training where you just feel like you're on a treadmill and you're just going through the motions every day of coming in, doing your work, completing your e-portfolio, getting home and repeating the same process again and this was an opportunity to just do something that was absolutely, completely and utterly different and it was wonderful and it certainly although being very challenging at times, has reinvigorated my passion for what we do. Um, I think stepping away from it and doing something else makes you realise actually what a wonderful and privileged job we get to do, albeit incredibly challenging at times. But I think um, sometimes you realise that certainly the the thought for me was that the grass might be greener in academia um, and there are certain things which are different and which are different and better, but there are also things that are extremely challenging
1: as well. So you said that you really liked having your boots on the ground, having a project which you spoke to patients. Um, Did you manage to do that in your PhD at all?
2: Yeah, so the PhD sort of had two arms, one of which was essentially analysing clinically available data in a different way, so looking through how many of our chromosomal microarray results generate variants of uncertain significance or these incidental findings that we talked about. And the second of which was recording paediatricians talking to parents about chromosomal microarray, interviewing clinicians about their experience of using the test and then interviewing families about their experience of having the test in the newborn intensive care unit. So there were two sort of contrasting elements again or one of which was a quants project essentially was number crunching and stats and looking at proportions and so on. The other of which was just a really human type of work where you get to sort of look at what we do in medicine through a completely different lens and that was really for me um very eye-opening and very interesting and um I think something as an aside something we don't do enough as we get further on in our training is take time to watch how other people do things and it's wonderful to do it at that stage because you sort of have more of a sense then about the things that you value in your communication and the, and the way you work with families and parents and it was collecting the data was actually a really privileged opportunity to refine and think about how we do what we
1: do every day. Yes, yeah, so I was recently in a community clinic and someone did actually do a consent for a genetic test mm. um, and it was really good to hear exactly what she did and I think I'd like to take lots of that oh. away but yeah, it's really just an aside point really. Yeah, it? I think we don't... Uh, the, What's interesting
2: in, in in a single hospital or in a single health system is there are things that get done in lots of different places such as consent for chromosomal microarray and in every place that it's done it will be done slightly differently so the geneticists will develop their own culture around consent and their own processes be it with a form or whatever else. The paediatricians and the neonatologists might develop different or similar forms of the same mm-hmm. process in cancer um, and oncology. They might develop something that looks completely different. And it's really interesting to see how like clinical communities sort of develop their own processes. And that was certainly something that I hadn't really appreciated is how much of what we do in medicine is defined by the cultures around the departments or units or, or specialties that we work in. Mm. <laughs> what
1: else did you get out of your... your, your best your thing life.
2: I got out of it was travel. So <laughs> I did a lot of really lovely traveling. So yeah. spent time abroad in genetics labs and neonatal units in Nijmegen in the Netherlands and then in Aalborg in Denmark, traveled to conferences, you know, all over... Mm-hmm. Europe, America, Australia, so, you know, fantastic opportunities to just go and see new places and meet new people. Um, I met a fantastic and interesting network of people working on um, similar things um, and was able to contribute a new voice to that community because lots of the people were geneticists or bioethicists or sociologists and actually there weren't an enormous number of paediatricians being involved in that conversation, even though probably we do the vast majority of mainstream genetic tests um, that that go on in in healthcare. So it was interesting to be able to add to that conversation. Um, Certainly got a sense of confidence out of it and the opportunity to develop my own interest as someone who isn't just trying to tick boxes in a portfolio and move forward from year to year, but something that I can confidently speak about, know about, and know that I can contribute something valuable um, to. I got out on nights and weekends for a few years, which, like, was part of the motivation for doing it. I wanted to have a break from shift work, and that was great. And probably lots of other things that I can't think about but or can't remember, but, you know, certainly it, it's developed me on more levels than just a clinical one in a way that I certainly didn't
1: anticipate before it all happened. Uh, so so I've not even really considered research and you're selling it to me already. Yeah, I think everyone should have a go. Um,
2: and I think that, you know, the, f- the brilliant thing about research in medicine is... it, it sort of makes me quite sad when you hear people say I've not done research before we've all done research so every clinical job has research in it you know even if you just go away and review the literature on a particular clinical decision you know is this the right time to start steroids for this baby you know are there any interventions for this child that might be useful that might help you know we've all we've all asked those questions and we've all addressed them using the resources that are available to us through other people's research and that in itself is an exercise in research you know on an individual level most of us have participated in other people's research either as participants when people are studying the behaviors of doctors and nurses or health systems or because we've recruited patients to trials that are already up and running and I think that's a really lovely way to access sort of on a entry level essentially what's involved in doing research you know being involved in consent being involved in the correct documentation being involved in the procedures or the data collection that the study needs and what's great about involvement in research is it's entirely scalable you can do as much or as little as you want so I would say what I did was probably at one end of the extreme in that you know you develop your own project from scratch and you think about something and you get it going but then there's also opportunities where a clinical group or a research group advertise a position that's a PhD where the project is already fully developed but in an area that you're interested in and rather than develop the project yourself from scratch you just apply to the post and take up the project so I've got some friends who are you know doing you know my best friend is doing a PhD that was advertised in the molecular genetics of um congenital abnormalities of the kidney and renal tract you know that was all set up all she did was you know essentially turn up on day one sit (laughs) down and start to learn and start to do and that's another opportunity you know there's there's a whole spectrum of opportunities the WCAT scheme offers both opportunities in Wales and there are equivalent schemes in England and Scotland that I know of um supported through the NIHR in England and through Edinburgh University in Scotland so there are lots of opportunities and the opportunities are really scalable to the level
1: of involvement that you want to have and that's brilliant. So yeah uh, for me who feels like I haven't really done very much research but perhaps I have actually what would your sort of recommendations be to me to how can I get more involved?
2: I think that Clini- like participation in clinical governance is always a great entry point for people. So, how can you make your audit or your quality improvement project or your service evaluation have a research element? So, most of them very easily can sort of tip the balance from just straight clinical governance to something more akin to research. You know, can you gather data in your unit that might inform a quality improvement project? That's research. You know, can you look at a problem in a new way? that research, can you visit other units, see what they're doing and implement new systems in your own unit that's sort of right on the QI research boundary so there are lots of ways to start to get involved in Wales, you know there are fantastic opportunities available through the team that do the um, child protection systematic reviews at Cardiff University Um, so there are opportunities that can be relatively short lived in terms of being a reviewer of papers for their systematic review, for their meta-analyses which is you know a lovely way to start dipping your toe in the water of how do we do good critical appraisal that ultimately contributes to new knowledge Um, they're both nice ways to do things also like encouraging the units that we work in to participate in national trials so you know for neonatology it's the national perinatal epidemiology unit based in Oxford who run lots of trials and you know if you put your hand up and said hey I really think our unit should participate in this trial on feeding or this trial on positions for lumbar punctures I don't think it would be a hard press for you to find a consultant who would support you in you know doing that and in in becoming involved so participate encouraging our units to participate in trials that are already up and going is is one way the other way is if you do something that you could like my you know my project emerged from an audit and um, if you do something and there are questions left to be asked then ask them you know and, and look for ways in which they could possibly be addressed and one of the things that's tricky with research is is finding a willing supervisor and someone who is both pragmatic and realistic and encouraging Um, but who will have your back in terms of supporting you with funding applications, ethics applications and so on. And that can be really tricky. So if you have an idea, move in the right circles, go to the right meetings, um, present your work that you've already done and say to people, is there anyone out here who's interested in this? Is there anyone out here who has something to contribute? One of the tricky things with academia is everything isn't in every place. So, you know, I moved to Cardiff to work with Angus Clark. That was sort of, you know, that was the price of admission for doing this project. And um, And so that is tricky when people have other commitments. That means it's not so easy to move around. But there will always be opportunities to participate. And the question is not should I participate, but how far should I take this for myself?
1: Mm. Um, And so, are there any courses or ways to get a bit better at doing statistics that you can
2: recommend? Well, I think good clinical practice is now one of the mandatory courses (laughs) for ARCP. So I think everyone ought to be doing that um, as part of their general training in. Cardiff, there's a stats course which runs, I think, every February March time, and um, ran by Mali Chakraborty, who's one of the neonatal consultants at UHW, which is a fantastic course. But there are equivalent courses all over the place, particularly Bristol in the School of Community Medicine. They run an enormous number of courses, and um, which Welsh trainees are eligible for a lower price on because of the GW4 partnership, which is a partnership between. Cardiff University, Bristol, Bath and Exeter, Um, and they run a course on stats, on qualitative methods, on data collection, lots of wonderful courses. The RCPCH and the NIHR, which is the National Institute of Health Research, normally run a sort of research in paediatrics day um, which I think is held once a year normally just in the early summer Um, and that's always a great day to go and talk and think about how to develop project ideas how to network how to meet people in Wales we've got a fantastic resource in Ren, the Welsh Research Education Network who have just continued to churn out loads of really good training and project ideas for trainees to get involved in and I know that some of those projects have led to although started off under the veil of QI have led to you know research being generated and new knowledge being being brought forward which is fantastic so I think yeah it's about sort of identifying what's available locally and then really making the most of the networks and, and groups that you can be a part of Mm. Um, and we're really fortunate in Wales in that we seem to have loads of resources available to
1: us. Yeah there's so many things that I hadn't even considered Mm -hmm. there. Brilliant. So is there anything else that you kind of thought about that we had not really covered? So I think um, funding
2: is one of the things that people come back to again Mm -hmm. and you've got one of the things we need to think about is as medics is that Mm -hmm. we actually earn quite a high salary and so the funding requirements for a project that we would be involved in it's often significantly more costly than employing a post-MSC student from another healthcare discipline. Um, that being said, there are lots of entry-level grants for medical professionals um, available through Welcome, through the NIHR, also through lots of the charities um, associated with children's health, like... I can't remember the specific names, but there are certainly awards for cardiology, renal medicine, childhood disabilities. So there are lots of charities that also put together funding for clinicians to undertake research. So, But it's often quite difficult to navigate those things on your own. So I would really encourage people to sort of find a, f- a friend who can really help you to think about the sources of funding that might be available to you. The other thing I really want to stress is that you don't have to do a PhD PhD is a big commitment a three-year undertaking you know registering with the university producing work producing papers participating in group research and that's tricky but you know there's loads of opportunities to just do a one-year project where you could generate a couple of papers and do something that was relatively standalone but really does go quite a long way to develop your own interests thinking of ASIM stuff on burns you know like It wasn't a three year undertaking, but he's generated a fantastic piece of work by looking at that data, which was already available. So there are opportunities that are also shorter term, but, you know, that will just be equally as fruitful as a PhD and might give you an opportunity to sort of dip your toe in the water and see if that type of work is something you would be interested in.
1: Yeah, and what what did Asim do? He did an ST3 post, wasn't it, that was didn't he? I think that it was like a
2: post that was designated for either education or research. And I think those posts are now becoming more and more common. I think an important thing to also mention is research in medical education, which seems to be its own field, and, you know, how important that we contribute to what what constitutes effective medical education. Um, And that's obviously an easy in for lots of doctors because it's something we'll all have experienced and know a reasonable amount about. And I'm sure that well, we were already seeing lots of posts coming through with MedEd as part of the job title, and I'm sure that will only continue to grow. So, you know, even though it's titled MedEd, there may well be an opportunity to do research in those posts. Mm.
1: Yeah. So we were talking about MedEd research yesterday, and it was again something that I'd not even really considered before. So mm. yeah, that might be a really good thing to yeah start off with. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate, for uh, joining me today. Thank you for um, having I've learnt uh, loads, um, and I hope it inspires lots of uh, doctors and other health professionals to do research.
2: And if people want to get in
1: touch for more specific
2: information about um, research, or if there are things I can help with for trainees locally in Wales, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Oh, that's very kind of you. Okay, thanks.
0: What an incredibly inspiring person Kate is. She makes it sound so easy it makes me proud to be working in wales alongside all these colleagues who are just like her anyway if you're interested in contacting kate you can find her on twitter at dr K-Neely. so that's uh, d-r-k-n-e-l-y otherwise you can contact either myself or stacy and we can put you through to her join us again next week for an episode on the abdominal examination with our resident clinical exam guru sophie constantineau that's all for this week Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.